The first three chapters of Ephesians declared what followers of Jesus gained by being in him, and explained the mystery of how Gentiles, who were once far off, have been brought near. Paul also revealed his humility and gratitude for receiving the gracious gift of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Today on Drawing Near, we will begin seeing the call of God to the church to turn completely away from our former sinful lives and embrace the fullness of life in Christ. So open your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at a worthy walk. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And Father, it is a great privilege to come before you humbly, acknowledging your grace and mercy and love at work in our lives. We can see your work of grace in our lives literally from the foundation of the world. We thank you, Father, that the mystery that has for so long been undisclosed has now been revealed. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to learn how we can walk in a way that honors you and glorifies you, in a Christ-like way, a humble and holy way. Teach us, Father, through the work of your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to chapter 4, and let's begin reading together verses 1 through 3. In verse 1 we read, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul begins in the first verse of chapter 4 of reminding the Ephesian saints that he is a prisoner of the Lord. Now, he's in chains, he's in custody, but he's not a prisoner of Rome, he's not a prisoner of the Jews, he is a prisoner of the Lord. And I think that's a clear declaration of Paul's understanding of the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. No matter what happens to Paul, It happens because of the Lord's will. It happens because he is in service to the Lord. And so whether he is free, he is the Lord's freeman. If he's a prisoner, he's the Lord's prisoner. If he's serving, he's the Lord's servant. He has learned to be content in whatever state he's in, and he recognizes that all of his circumstances are providentially guided by the hand of the Lord we would do well to remember that. It would make life a lot less difficult to take, to deal with. It would cause less doubt and fear if we fully recognized that whatever we're involved in or going through, our circumstances are guided and dictated by the almighty hand of God. And so Paul says that he's a prisoner, and he says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul is seeking to walk worthy of his calling, of his calling to be an apostle, a missionary to the Gentiles with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that we read in his letters, what we read in the book of Acts, clearly declares that he is pressing toward the mark, that he is seeking to walk worthy of that calling. He recognizes that he is less than the least of the saints, that he is the chief of sinners, 
he has a humility about him, but in that humility, he is still striving to walk worthy of the gracious calling of God in his life. And he challenges his readers to walk worthy of the calling with which they were called. The question needs to be asked, what is that calling that we were called to? Well, we were called first and foremost to turn away from sin and to turn to Christ. We were called to be his follower. We have been called to lay aside and to take up, to lay aside sin and to take up the righteousness of Christ. We have been called to be the children of God through adoption. All of those things that he has declared to us in chapter 1, we have been called to. The things in chapter 2 and 3, we've been called from. So now he's going to lay out before us in chapter 4, and then again in 5 and 6, what this worthy walk looks like. So he's beseeching, he's begging, he's pleading with his readers to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. He is not saying that our salvation depends upon our walk. I believe he is saying that because we have been saved and we have been called, our walk through every effort we can make should line up with that calling. And then he gives us a brief description, an introduction, so to speak, of what that worthiness looks like, what walking worthy of our calling really looks like. First of all, he says in verse 2, with all lowliness or humility. Paul has already modeled that for us. Christ Jesus certainly modeled it for us. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So believers are to walk with all lowliness, humility. We are not to be proud. We're not to be too good to suffer for Christ or too good to serve others. We are to be lowly. We are to recognize that we are sinners saved by grace. We are to recognize our position before the Almighty God of creation. We are to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord and we the servant. And not only servant of Christ, but as we will see, we are servants of one another. The first will be last and the last will be first. So we are to walk with all humility, lowliness. We are also to walk in this worthy way with gentleness. It's the idea of trying to hold a baby, not roughly, not carelessly, but deliberately gentle. We are to be gentle people. We're to be careful how we speak to one another and how we treat one another. We're to consider others as more important than ourselves. We're to consider their feelings and their thoughts. We are to be gentle people. He goes on and says, with long-suffering. That's another word for patience. Patience is long-suffering. Anytime you're patient with somebody, it's the idea that in the flesh, you would have already lost it. You would have already unleashed on them, or you would have distanced yourself from them. But long-suffering means that you bear with. God is patient toward us. He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. God suffers long with us. We're told in 1 Corinthians 13, love suffers long, and we are to love one another. So with all lowliness, gentleness, with long-suffering, 
We are to be bearing with one another in love. Now, the way this is worded is our bearing with one another in love is from the standpoint of humility, in gentleness, long-suffering. Love looks like this. Love flows from a humble heart, a gentleness, a care with which we treat people, being considerate, being kind, being patient. This is how we love one another. This is how we bear with one another in love. The New English translation says putting up with one another in love. That's not as eloquent, but that's what it means. We often say, I'm not going to put up with that. Well, the truth is we need to put up with that. We have to put up with one another, with one another's weaknesses and failings, personalities and tendencies that that we struggle with. Love bears up with one another. Love puts up with one another. With all humility, in order to put up with someone else, you have to humble yourself. You have to think of yourself as not too good to put up with them. Gentle, long-suffering. He goes on and says in verse 3, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our desire must be that we want to maintain or keep the unity of the Spirit. So primarily, Paul is talking here, I don't think it's exclusively, but primarily about a believer-to-a-believer relationship, relationships within the body of Christ. And we need to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He will talk further on about unity, but we are to make every effort, as much as is in us, live in peace with one another. We are to make every effort to not become divided, to not allow division to come within the church. And frankly, the church experiences all kinds of division, not just globally, but the local church. There are all kinds of factions and divisions and cliques. There are all kinds of groups that don't necessarily welcome other people in. I've heard plenty of people talk about how They don't like this one in the church, and they don't talk to that one in the church. That's completely contradictory to the scriptures. We are explicitly told to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God has made peace between us and himself. He has made peace between the Gentile and the Jew in Christ. He has brought peace to bear in our hearts and lives. We can know the peace that passes understanding. And we are to make every effort to live, to function, to fellowship in the bond of peace. This passage in no way tells us how to fix the other person. We need to be clear about that. What this passage tells us is, that we are to strive with all humility and all gentleness, patiently bearing with one another in love, putting up with one another in love, endeavoring, trying with all that we can to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're not told to fix the other person. We're told how we're to respond to the other person. 
And we're not being told here how to respond to a person who's easy to get along with, but rather we're told here how to respond to the person, how to treat faithfully day in, day out, through the course of our life together in the church. We're told how to relate to the person who's just plain difficult. Part of what enables us to do this is to recognize that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are the one who's hard to get along with. We are the one that requires the humility of Jesus, his gentleness, his patience, his putting up with us. He is the one who condescends to us. It reminds me of the passages that simply say, since we have been forgiven, we must forgive. The model prayer tells us if we will not forgive others, then we will not be forgiven. We ask the Lord in the model prayer to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. So this is our beginning to chapter 4 and the practical side of this letter, the how-to side of this letter. So we're going to be learning what to do. This is the introduction. I pray that we will try very, very diligently to embrace the teaching of God's Word in the practical sense, not just learn the truths. The truths don't accomplish what they're supposed to unless they're applied. So, Father, we come to you and we ask that you would help us to apply your Word to our lives, that you would bring it back to our minds and our memories when we're in those situations that we would rather respond in the flesh, that we would not grow weary in well-doing, that we would press toward the mark, that we would seek to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called, that we would be striving day in and day out to be more like Jesus. I thank you for this instruction. David said that he hid your word in his heart that he would not sin against you. It takes a great deal of effort to hide your word in our hearts, reading, thinking, studying, meditating, even memorizing. I hope we're not too good to do these things. I hope we don't allow ourselves to be too busy to do these things. It is a primary thing in our lives that we be individuals who love your word, who delight in your word, and seek to live accordingly. Father, give us this grace. Give us this help through your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for studying with us today. You can subscribe to these podcasts on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or the Facebook page Drawing Near. Drawing Near is a ministry of FBC Tip City, provided with the hope that we will draw near to God and He will draw near to us.